0: Well, it's so good to be able to share and open God's Word with you this morning. Um, I'm thrilled to be able to do so as we start this Core Values uh, sermon series where we talk through really what are the the, the markers of us as a church here at First Alliance, right? When we talk about the idea of identity, um, we we obviously want our identity to first and foremost and ultimately rule by the fact that we belong to Jesus, that we are Jesus' people. And so as a church at First Alliance, our first and foremost identity is that we are the body and the people of Christ. But as we all know, even though that is our main identity, we all have certain other points that kind of make up who we are. right? Courtney, our kids' ministry director, is first and foremost, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. But a crucial part of her identity is that with all of her heart, she loves Georgia football. I am a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, first and foremost, but a crucial part of my identity is that I hate all UNC athletics. Please still love me. We all have different things that would be markers if someone asked you, what makes that person who they are? First and foremost, we want to be known as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, as Christians, as people who have trusted in Christ as our only hope for salvation. That is the starting point. So as we preach through this series and we talk about these five core values that make up our identity at First Alliance, please understand that each one of these is governed and ruled over by that identity. That above all else, we are the people of God. We are Christ people who have submitted ourselves to him and now live as Christians. And that's why we started this series last week by talking about the role of Scripture. Because we believe, as the leadership of First Alliance, that all of our core values flow out of the truths of Scripture given to the church. And so I have the joy as the pastor of discipleship this morning to speak on our first core value, which is in fact disciple making. So I would encourage you to open in your copy of God's Word with me this morning to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, and we'll be starting in verses 1 through 11. Now, here's the thing about identity it's that identity is in a very real sense crafted, not just given. Identity is crafted, not just given. Uh, I love football. I enjoy playing pickup football. Um, every year when I was a younger person, um, we would have what we called the turkey bowl. On, we'd get up super early on Thanksgiving morning, a group of us, and we'd meet at the church, and we'd have a giant flag football game. Um, so I love doing that every year. But I would in no way consider myself a football player. Because identity is crafted and not given. I love to fish. I grew up uh, with my grandfather who would take me fishing. And I remember the first time that we went fishing, one of the first memories that I have, I was three or four years old. And we were sitting there on the shores of Hensley Lake in Northern California. And I caught my first fish. And I will never forget what my papa looked at me and he said, he said, we just might make a fisherman out of you yet. And he tried. And I love to do it, but if you would ask my wife, she would tell you I'm not great at it, and that she's better, although I don't know if that's true. But what happened was he said, we could, we're could we going to make a fisherman out of you yet. And so over the next years of my life and into my teenage years, three to four times a year, we would go fishing together, and I would learn from the decades upon decades of experience that he had fishing all over the country and that sparked a passion in me for it. And it became part of who I am, right? It became a part of, if people say, what what makes you, you? Part of that is going to be, I love the outdoors. I love hunting. I love fishing. And that came about because my grandfather labored in his life to make a fisherman out of me yet. That is why disciple-making is such a crucial part of our identity here at First Alliance and is one of our core values. We know that it is a task given directly by Christ to his church in the Great Commission, where he says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. So, in light of the fact that I am the one who holds all authority, go and make disciples. Go and make (laughs) disciples. This is the mission and the job of the church. In fact, if you look at one of our core values cards, if you flip it over on the back, it gives a one-sentence description of each of our values. And the one for discipleship making is, in fact, we exist to make disciples. Making disciples of Christ is the reason that First Alliance Church exists it's the reason that we gather. It's the reason that we grow together. It's the reason why we're in community together. We exist in all things as a church in order to be obedient to Christ and make disciples. So, what is, what do we desire our identity to be as a church? And it's simply this. We desire to be disciples making disciples for God's glory and our joy. Disciples making disciples for God's glory and our joy. And so this is the statement through the lens of Scripture, which I want to unpack with us this morning. So let's stop listening to me and turn our attention where it is deserved to the word of God this morning in Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. Put out into the deep and let your nets down for a cast. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in other boats to come and to help them. And they came and they filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid, for now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Disciples making disciples for God's glory and our joy. I want to approach this text this morning and unpack this statement through uh, a few questions. And the first one, uh, so very Straightforward outline this morning if you're following along or a note taker. So here's your first question to unpack this idea with. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? And I would argue this morning, and I I would hope that we can come to the agreement this morning, that to be a disciple of Jesus means three things. Here's the first. To be a disciple of Jesus, you must live in Jesus. A disciple must live in Jesus. These Simon and John and James, these, these men who were going to become some of the, the, the pillar disciples of the 12 that Jesus would travel with during his ministry, uh, they were just fishermen. They weren't disciples. They didn't know anything until they met Jesus, You see, a disciple cannot be a disciple until they encounter Jesus. Christ is the one who changes everything for us. Christ is the one, when we understand who Jesus is and what he's done, he is the one who shows us his worth, and we cannot make a decision to live as a follower of Jesus. You cannot decide to be a Christian outside of truly coming to know and experience the Lord Jesus. A disciple must live in Jesus. They must have encountered. Jesus. And and we know for us what that means is that you must have put your faith in Christ. You must understand and not only confess, but believe the reality of the truth of who Jesus says he is, that he is the Son of God come to save the world, to die on a cross, to take away the sin that Adam earned for mankind in the garden, and to bear it once and for all, for all who would come to him on the cross at Calvary. We must believe that Christ is the one who went into the grave and came back out of the grave alive and well, that Christ ascended into heaven and that one day he is coming again as our great and glorious king who will rule over all things. If we do not have that understanding of Jesus if we do not have that at the core of who we are then if we call ourselves a Christian or a follower or a disciple whatever nomenclature you want to use you are a fraud. It is not about a religion or a position or a theological idea that you must assent mentally to. It is about a relationship with the king of heaven who came and gave himself for us on the cross. So in order to be a disciple, we first and foremost must understand, trust, believe, and confess the reality of who Jesus has shown himself to be. Because if we don't do that, he will never have the value in our mind for us to give up what it takes to follow. A disciple must live in Jesus. Secondly, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Not only must a disciple live in Jesus, but a disciple must live like Jesus. We must live like Jesus. We must live in ways that are not our own. We know as as humanity, as as those descended from Adam, that we carry with us the sin nature that constantly pulls us away from God, away from the things of God that tempts us with the things of this world and the things of the flesh. We see this example maybe no greater than even in the Apostle Paul himself, who would say that the flesh and the spirit are at war within me. And then in maybe one of those most confusing statements made in all of Scripture, he says, I constantly do the things that I wish not to do, and I constantly don't do the things that I wish to do. By our very nature as fallen humans, we are drawn away from God. God tells Job in the book of Job, after Job has suffered, that my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. So living as a disciple of Jesus means that we must abandon our ways and abandon our thoughts. And we must live Jesus' way and not our own. We must disregard what seems right to us in order to live like Jesus has commanded. In Luke 5, look with me in in verses 4 through 7. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. We respond like Simon so many times in our lives. These are professional fishermen. Jesus is a carpenter by trade. What does he know about catching fish? These guys have lived their lives on the Sea of Galilee. They are more comfortable on the water than they are on the land. This is what they do This is how they support their, themselves, their families, how they eat day by day. is by catching fish. They know the ins and the outs of doing it. Who is this guy who got into our boat to tell us, the professional fishermen, how to fish? We do the exact same thing. Who is this guy, who is this Jesus who came into my life and now is going to tell me how I need to do things. He doesn't understand what it's like to be me. Jesus lived 2,000 years ago. He doesn't understand the, the pressures of living in a, a modern society. He doesn't stand, understand the pressures of technology and, and social media and, the, and the, the, just the rat race of the work life that exists in our culture and community today. He doesn't get it. Who is he to tell me how to live my life? I'm the one who's here, I'm the one who knows. I'm the one who has these experiences. But we have to have the heart just like Simon did. Halfway through verse 5. He says, Master, we toiled all night and we took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. Simon did something that seemed absolutely ludicrous to him. That were their livelihood. They were taking a risk to do that. And everything in Simon was saying, this is not right. We shouldn't do this. Nothing can come from this but bad stuff. We're just going to lose our nets. Our nets are just going to get torn. We're just going to whatever. But he says, at your command, we will do what seems wrong to us. And do what you've commanded us to do. To live as a disciple of Jesus means to live with that kind of self-denial. To live as a disciple of Jesus means that we need to disregard what seems right and correct to us in order to follow what Jesus has said. This trickles into all cultural, political issues of everything. We must come to the understanding that if we live as a disciple of Jesus, that old song must be our moniker, Take the world, but give me Jesus. A disciple must live like Jesus. And thirdly, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? It means that you must live in Jesus. It means that you must live like Jesus. And then the third one, the third aspect of this is that a disciple must live for Jesus. Must live in Jesus, like Jesus, and for Jesus. Look with me in the second part of verse 10 in our passage this morning. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. They left everything and followed him. They didn't take their boats and their nets and everything like that and go and put it in storage so that it would be safe for when they got done with whatever Jesus was calling them to. They left it there. Because Jesus had just given them a new purpose for their whole life. Church, that's the reality for all of us who follow Jesus and would consider ourselves to be disciples of Christ. There is no plan B. We follow Jesus wherever he would go. Wherever he would call us. We say, I have weighed everything else. to Christ, it comes up lacking. Jesus gives these guys a new purpose and a new identity. They are no longer fishermen, but fishers of men. They're going to go and be the witnesses of Christ in the world. Jesus gives them, as his followers, a new purpose and they have but mindset. Yeah, I want to follow Jesus to do this, but I don't know how it's going to pan out. Yeah, I really feel like Jesus is calling me to do this, but yeah, I really feel like Jesus might be calling me to uh, give away most of what I earned this year to people who need it and just keep enough for my family to survive. But that sounds terrible. I earned that. I worked for that. Yeah, I I think Jesus might be calling me to the mission field to go and share the gospel around the world. I've heard some terrible stories about things that have happened to people. there. If we are truly living as disciples of Jesus, there is no safety net. We are all in with Jesus heard a story one time of a guy who played football for Texas A&M back in the 70s. And the one thing that he said about playing football for Texas A&M is that if the Texas A&M football team was not first over everything else in your life, you were not part of the Texas A&M football team. Church, the reality that we're confronted with as disciples and followers of Jesus is that Jesus, if Jesus Christ is not first in our life over everything else, we do not have a part in him. We cannot live in him without living for him. It's not a, a pick or choose type of argument here. We must live in Christ. We must live like Christ. And we must live for Christ in all that we do if we are going to be A true disciple of Jesus. And here's the other thing. Jesus didn't die. Jesus didn't call people to be converts. Every person that Jesus called, he called to be a disciple. He didn't commission his church to go and make converts. He commissioned his church to go and make disciples. So, If we are truly following after what Jesus has laid out for his people in scripture, then we must understand that it is disciple or nothing. It is living in, like, and for Jesus, or it is nothing. There's no halfway point of obedience with Christ. To be partially obedient is to be disobedient. We have to commit ourselves to Jesus, not out of a sense of duty, but because we truly see and understand that he is worth it. There is nothing more worthy of our affection. There is nothing more worthy of our efforts. Nothing more worthy of our resources than to live the life of a disciple of Jesus. But it doesn't just stop there. You see, we don't just live as a disciple, right? We don't want our identity to just be disciples for God's glory and our joy. We want our identity to be disciples, making disciples for God's glory and our joy. And the truth is, we will never fully be done with either until we get to glory. We should always be being discipled. And always discipling someone else. We should always be being mentored and mentoring someone else. I think about the Christian life a lot like a team climbing up the summit of a giant mountain like Everest or K2 or one of those. Where they are in a line together and you are being pulled up by one person in front of you and you are pulling along someone behind you. That is what the life of discipleship within the church looks like. It is constantly being pulled closer to Jesus and then helping to pull someone closer to Jesus. We never outgrow becoming more of a disciple. We never outgrow the need for discipleship in our life. And so that is why Christ gives the job to his church and commissions his church above all else to make disciples. We're not just called to be disciples, but we are called to be disciples who make disciples. So how, our second question, how do we make disciples? How do we make disciples? And there are, From our text this morning, there are two ways that we make disciples that I want us to see together. The first comes in verses 1 through 3. And that is that we make disciples by teaching them the word of God. We make disciples by teaching them the word of God. In verses 1 through 3, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them, and they were washing their nets. And so getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down, and he taught the people from the boat. What did he teach them? He taught them what they were there to hear, which was the word of God. We primarily make disciples by teaching them the word of God. We don't teach them the Word of God so that they can understand the moral code of how they need to act. We don't teach them the Word of God because they need to understand what they can do and what they can't do. We don't teach them the Word of God because they need to know what we'll makes God's happy and what we'll makes God sad. We teach them the Word of God because it is the Word of God alone that brings life. The beautiful portrait in Ezekiel. Where Ezekiel prophesies the word of the Lord out over the valley of dry bones. And the bones, these dead dry bones come back to life. It is the word of the Lord that brings life. It is God's word that brings life. Why? Because it is where, it is in the word of God where we understand the reality and the beauty of who Jesus is. And we see the gospel laid out in front of us. We see that we are part of a fallen humanity without hope, but God in his grace and in his love has sent his son to die for us so that we might live again. Why do we teach them the word of God? Not so that they can become moralistic legalists or not so that they can start acting like a Christian, but we teach them the word of God so that they can... Shout from the top of their lungs with the Apostle Paul, I am not ashamed of the gospel for the gospel is the power of God to life and unto salvation for all who believe it. That's why we start with teaching the word because in the word is contained the gospel and it is the gospel that brings life and it is through the gospel that we get to that first point that we talked about of being able to live in Christ. We have to start With teaching them the word. But here's the other part of discipleship. How do we make disciples? We teach them the word of God. But here's the other thing. We make disciples by showing them the power of God. It is not just academic. It is demonstrative. We make disciples by teaching the word of God. And we make disciples by showing them the power of God. Look with me in verses 4 through 9. And when he had finished speaking. Jesus has just finished teaching the word of God. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. And they signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and to help them. And they came and they filled the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it. He fell down at Jesus' knees saying, "Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord." For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. You can take that last sentence of uh, verse 9 there and you can change it and it would not lose what its meaning is there and you could say, "For he and all who were with him were astonished at what Jesus had done." We make disciples by showing them the power of God. Jesus taught them the word of God, and then he displayed the power of God over creation by causing all of those fish to swim into the nets they had avoided all night long. It was nothing more than a divine act of God himself that astonished the people. And it is only after seeing what God had done after hearing the word taught, that Simon Peter makes the first statement of confession that we have from a disciple who says, depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. You see, when we, when we make disciples by teaching people the word of God, and we make disciples by showing them the power of God, they get a true understanding of who God is. God is not a far-off God, but God is a God who works in and through our lives. Now you may like me be reading this and hearing this and saying, right, but I can't uh, I can't do that. I can't make a bunch of fish jump in a boat. Right? I, I can't do what a, what Elijah did and call down fatter. I can't do what Jesus did and stand at the tomb of a loved one and say, come on out. I can't, I can't do these things. I can't show someone the power of God in these type of ways that, that would change someone's mind about who God is. But I would put to you this, that often just as powerful as one big event is someone seeing a faithfulness of many events. You you live life in front of people. You live life with people, right? How do we show people the power of God? Is through being involved in community and relationships and transparency and being real with people and know, people knowing the sorrow that you feel as you're walking through the storms of life, but seeing the reality of God persevering you through those storms. And as people see that in your life over and over and over and over again, what it does is it builds up to this great and glorious testimony of the sufficiency of God. It builds up to this great and glorious testimony of the care that God has for his people as he leads us through these storms, as he doesn't just let us out there by ourselves, but as he walks with us, as he cares for us, as he provides for us. The sustaining power of God that only he can do. We Make disciples by showing them the power of God. I've never seen the power of God more on display in a marriage than by one of my mentors in college who would have some of us over to his house for dinner on a regular basis. And when we got there, it was just like it always is at the house. There were kids getting in trouble. There were arguments between he and his wife. There were things. And and what we got to see, though, was we got to see the Spirit of God in their hearts as they worked through these real issues of their family life. And I am so thankful that I got to be a part of that because there's nowhere in my life that I have learned more about being a, a godly husband and a godly father than in watching it get played out in front of me. I saw them time and time sacrificially yield to the other one. I saw them time and time again give of themselves and think less of themselves and more of their spouse. We live out these realities. We We live like Jesus in front of people. And that in itself is a testimony of the power of God. Because without the power of God in our lives, none of us would live like Jesus. I don't know about you, but without without the power of Christ working in me, I'm terrible at forgiving people. Without the power of Christ working in me, I'm terrible about having a short temper. I'm terrible about secluding away and just saying to heck with people. I'm sure for many of you, you can think of different things where you're like, man, that was all Jesus and not me because it was me. I ought to handle that situation very differently. We make disciples by showing them the power of God. This is primarily done in the church through community, through relationships, and through transparency. Pastor Paul is going to preach next week on another one of our core values of authenticity. You could substitute that word transparency that I just used there for authenticity. We are real with each other and with God is what we believe as a church. Here's, here's a challenge. This is a challenge that to me as much as it is to you. Church, if we are going to be a church who makes disciples, if we're going to make disciples by showing people the power of God at work in our life, it means that we need to take our church mask off crumple it up, and throw it away. It means that we need to understand that this is the first alliance family And we can walk in here, ward all sorrows and all, life stresses and all, and we will come together and wrap our arms around one another and bear those burdens and walk through it together because that is who Christ has called us to be. And that is what it means to live a life of discipleship together. Community and relationships don't exist without real transparency. You cannot build relationships that will help support you and grow you if you are not willing to be hurt. we have to take our church mask and throw it away so we make disciples we live as a disciple and we make disciples we do it by teaching them the word of god by being in community around the word of god reading and studying and asking questions and having conversations about scripture when was the last time that you went to somebody and you just said hey i was reading this the other day in the bible And it was kind of crazy, or it really spoke to me. Or What do you think about it? And you, you sat there with another believer and had a conversation about the truth and the reality of God's Word. We make disciples by teaching them the Word of God, and we make disciples by showing them the power of God. So, when we... Live as a disciple, and as we make disciples, the third question this morning is, what is the fruit of living this way? What is the fruit or the outcome of living as a disciple-making disciple of Jesus? There's two. The first, our joy. When we live as a disciple-making disciple, we will experience true joy and satisfaction. Remember that old song I talked about? Take the world, but give me Jesus. If we really believe that and if we really live that way, then what we're saying is you could take everything else away from me. You could take my retirement. You could take my family. You could take everything I've ever earned or worked for in my life. Even if you take all of that other stuff away, even if I'm left with nothing but Jesus, I will be satisfied in Him alone. When we live this way, when our focus becomes living as a disciple, when it becomes living in, in light, like and for Jesus. And when the purpose of our life is is truly above all else to make other disciples and everything that we do in our life, whether it be activities or jobs or whatever, serves that purpose of making disciples. We will come to know true joy and satisfaction in Christ that nothing can ever rob you of. There is a, a great, we sung the song a bunch here at First Alliance, but the song behind the story, It Is Well, I've shared it before. Horatio Spafford lost his family in a, in a, when a ship sank going across the Atlantic. And having lost everything, as he's on board another ship going to the funeral of his family, he sits down and he pins the words to that song at the exact spot in the Atlantic where their ship had sank. And he writes, sorrows like sea billows roll, like the storms of the sea are the sorrows of my heart, but it is well with my soul. And then he goes on to say, oh, for my sin, my sin, oh, the bliss of that glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, it is well with my soul. You see, when we value Jesus in that kind of way, when we value Jesus above all else, then no matter what we lose in this life, no matter what living for Christ costs us, we get to look at the cross and we get to say, praise Jesus. I have lost it all. This world would say I have nothing else to live for, but it is well with my soul because Christ is my savior and my hope is in him, not in this world. And so when we truly live as a disciple of Jesus, when we truly live with our eyes focused on Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith, and we run with endurance the race that is set before us, that he has given us to live for him and make disciples of others, then we will reach that joy and satisfaction in Christ that cannot be taken. And No matter what sea billows of sorrow roll in your life, You will be anchored to the hope of the joy that is in Christ. And so, that joy is one of the fruit of the outcomes of living this disciple making life, the second of which is God's glory. It happens in, in multiple ways, the first of which Pastor Paul alluded to last week, that great quote from our brother John Piper. Who would say, when we are most satisfied in Christ, he is most glorified in us. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied. But also, when we live as a disciple-making disciple, the glory of God is magnified through our life in this world. God is glorified through our satisfaction in him, true. But God is also glorified through people hearing and believing the gospel, God is glorified through his people denying sin and following Christ. God is glorified through his people gathering together to proclaim the excellencies of his glory to a waiting and watching world around us. When we gather together each Sunday morning, what if I told you this gathering is not about us at all? This gathering is about the people of God coming together to make known the glories of God to a world watching around us as a witness to what Christ has done for them so that hopefully they may come to know him and then become disciples who make disciples and glorify God all the more. My college students at our last church, they, they, uh, they referred to this as the, um, now I've lost it, Anyway, yeah, yeah, it's great. It's great. God is glorified through us. This is the whole purpose of all of creation to bring God glory. The whole purpose of all of creation to bring God glory, and God is glorified. In us, when we are satisfied in Him, and if we are satisfied in Him, we will follow what He has commanded us to do, and that is to make disciples. This is what we measure everything we do in our life by. Will this lead to my joy and satisfaction in trusting in Christ? And will it expand the glory of God in the world? Those are the two questions that we must weigh everything by. Is this for God's glory or for my glory? But when we commit ourselves to following Jesus, to living in Christ, to living like Christ, to living for Christ when we commit ourselves to being open and transparent in community and relationships and caring for one another, centered around the word of God and around living life together as living testimonies of what the power of God is doing through us and how the power of God is sustaining us, we will come to know that joy. And through our lives, God's glory will expand. Fulfilling Original purpose for all of creation that the glory of God would be known throughout the world. So, three questions, and then a fourth. Why does discipleship, why does making disciples matter so much to us? At First Alliance Church, that we would put it in our core values and say, we want this to be part of the DNA, part of the identity of this church. Why does discipleship matter so much to us at First Alliance? Three reasons. First, discipleship matters because faithfulness to Christ matters. Christ does not call us to live as converts, but he calls us to live as disciples. Secondly, discipleship matters because the integrity and the purity of the church matters. When we fail to make disciples, when we're satisfied with just adding to the role or adding to the numbers and just having converts, the integrity of the church is what suffers because we start having churches that look less like Jesus and more like the culture of the world around us. And we start to see churches straying from the truths of Scripture. And we start to see churches moving into focusing more on political ideologies on on either side of the aisle than they do on seeing people come to faith in Christ and to living for Jesus. When we fail to make disciples, when we fail to have discipleship as a key part of who we are, centered around the Word, the church loses all integrity. Discipleship matters because the integrity and the purity of the church matters. And then thirdly, discipleship matters because more than anything else, the expansion of God's glory and kingdom matters. In the garden, when God creates, he gives Adam the first mandate to be fruitful and to multiply. Multiply people across all of creation, Spread the glory of the garden, which is a reflection of the glory and the perfection of God, across all creation. And so when we live a life as a disciple who makes disciples, we commit as a church that discipleship matters because being faithful to that original intention of God of spreading his glory and kingdom throughout our world matters more than anything else to us. So, if you're sitting there this morning, and you're like, yeah, this is great. Discipleship's like that next stage of Christianity. Brothers and sisters, I I, I plead with you. You You are shorting yourself by being satisfied with something less than Christ has given us. Discipleship matters because our faithfulness to Christ matters. Because the integrity of the purity of the church matters. And because the expansion of God's glory and kingdom matters. And so as we close today, really quickly, how can you pursue living as a disciple who makes disciples? Let's get practical for a minute. How can you pursue living as a disciple who makes disciples? The first is that you can get into God's word with other people. Get into God's word with other people. The second way, intentionally seek out people to walk through life with. Find people that you can build relationship with, without a mask on, fully transparent and authentic, and say, this is me, in the fullness of me. Better or for worse? We walk through life together in the grace of Christ, caring for and supporting and bearing one another's burdens. Thirdly, you can pursue living as a disciple, making disciple through sharing the gospel with people that you know who don't have a relationship with Jesus, making that a priority in your life. Fourthly, you can find a more mature Christian brother or sister to mentor you And finally, you can gather with other brothers and sisters for intentional times of prayer. These are five very quick ways that you can pursue living life as a disciple-making disciple. And a great way to get started doing all of these is by getting involved in one of our discipleship ministries here at First Alliance. I'll have a table out in the Welcome Center after church with information about all of our discipleship ministries. Um, I would love to talk with you. If you have any questions about them, what do we have? You're like, I didn't even know we had discipleship ministries. Great, we do. Come talk to me. Love to get you plugged in. Um, we we'll have information about everything that we do out there. I'd love to have conversations. Um, with anybody who's interested in taking that, that next step, with whether it's joining a small group, which is 8 to 15 people who gather on a weekly basis for Bible study and for prayer, uh, a D group, which is a smaller group of 2 to 4 people who meet and have those life-on-life relationships and studying God's Word and praying for each other and, and walking through things. We have um, our 4x4s, four which are four people for four weeks walking through a Bible study is a short-term commitment. Our equip seminars, um, our Sunday school classes, our men's and women's ministry events. I have information about all of it. I would love to share it with you. And I would love for you to come and ask any questions and get plugged in in that. Because more than anything else that we do, that is the heartbeat of our church. And outside all the other ministries that we do, all the outreach that we do, all the everything else that we do grows out of the soil of discipleship at First Alliance. It is what lays the foundation for everything else we do. So I pray above all else that 2024 will be the year that we as a church double down on and commit to live out God's given identity of being disciples who make disciples. And we see God's glory expanded and our joy made complete by following him in all we do. Would you pray with me? God of all grace, Lord, we we pray that your spirit would strengthen us to live according to the way that you have called us. or we're challenged in your word that in whatever we do to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so Lord, I pray that we would all take that calling seriously. Lord, I pray that you would build relationships. I pray that you would draw our hearts in, that you would implant by your spirit and by your grace in each one of us a, a longing and a hunger for you. And that above all else in our life, we would seek to live for you. Father, bless our church. Give us a heart for you. And be glorified in us. We ask in the precious name of Christ. May the love of the Father and the grace of the Lord Jesus and the fellowship of his Spirit be with you as you go this week. We love you, church, and we'll see you next week.